This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Before we start this episode, I feel compelled to say something about what's happening in Israel. As the child of a Holocaust survivor, I am angered beyond measure about the atrocities that occurred last weekend when Hamas attacked and slaughtered over a thousand Israelis in what can only be called sheer barbarism. There was nothing political or strategic about what occurred. It was a slaughter, and to students of history, a pogrom. The unbridled horror that has unfolded is not just an assault on a nation. It is an assault on humanity itself. These are not just numbers flashing on a news screen. These are human lives snuffed out in the blink of an eye. Women, children, families that will never again be whole. There can be no justification, no reasoning, no political or ideological argument that can ever sanitize the wanton destruction of innocent lives. No grievance, no matter how severe, gives anyone the right to murder innocent civilians, to orphan children, to widowed spouses, and to terrorize entire communities. Least of all, to take off the heads of newborn babies to decapitate toddlers, to put people in cages and burn them alive. The argument that these attacks are a form of resistance is a dangerous fallacy. Genuine resistance works toward the preservation of life and the attainment of peace, not the proliferation of death and ongoing conflict. These acts do nothing but further entrench hatred, giving rise to more suffering and retaliation, creating a cycle of violence that seems to have no end. Moreover, these actions by Hamas undermine the legitimate aspirations of the Palestinian people. Millions long for dignity, statehood, and peace, but these heinous acts of violence push these goals further out of reach. They give ammunition to those who argue against the peace process and fuel the narratives of those who oppose a two-state solution. The international community's support is critical for achieving Palestinian aspirations, but sympathy wanes when streets are awash with the blood of innocent civilians. Let us also address the tragic reality that these attacks harm Palestinians the very people Hamas claimed to represent. When Israel retaliates, it is often the Palestinian civilians in Gaza who pay the highest price. Gaza's infrastructure is already in ruins, its economy in shambles, and its people cornered with no place to hide. Hamas's actions, far from liberating these individuals, only tighten the chains of misery and despair. This is not a call to ignore the complexities of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict or to downplay the suffering and legitimate rights of the Palestinian people. Nor is it an absolution of any disproportionate response or unnecessary loss of civilian life as a result of Israeli retaliatory strikes. Every innocent life lost, Israeli or Palestinian, is a tragedy, and measures must always be taken to minimize civilian casualties, which I know, I know personally and firsthand that Israel is trying to do. But to achieve that peace, the world must stand united against the use of terror and violence against civilians, no matter who perpetrates it. 
Condemning Hamas attacks in the strongest terms is not choosing a side in the conflict. It's choosing the side of humanity, of moral integrity, of the future where children can grow up without fear of rockets falling from the sky. So anger is not enough of a response to these attacks. It must be coupled with action. The international community must come together to put an end to this senseless violence, to cut off the resources that feed this terror, and to restart a genuine, credible dialogue towards peace. The memories of those innocent lives lost demand no less of us. Their voices, those silence, must spur us forward towards a future where such atrocities are unfathomable memories of a forsaken path. It's fall, which means you should be picking apples, not wedgies. Get new underwear that'll take care of your whole fruit basket. That's Tommy John. When you wear Tommy John, you're that much more comfortable, so you can do everything better. Tommy John underwear and loungewear have dozens of comfort innovations, like breathable, lightweight, moisture-wicking fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands that keep you comfortable no matter what the season throws at you. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys across America love their Tommy Johns because there's no flopping, no sticking, and no chafing. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. One Tommy John fanatic raves, the most comfortable box of briefs ever. There's no downside. Buy one pair and you'll never want to wear any other underwear again. Hey, look, let me be clear about this. I own Tommy John and I plan on wearing them when I'm doing my run through Central Park, when I'm walking down Madison Avenue, wherever it is that I'm going. And in all honesty, you should get Tommy John too. Plus, you're always covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. So get 20% off your first order right now at TommyJohn.com slash Cohen. Save 20% at TommyJohn.com slash Cohen. That's TommyJohn.com slash Cohen. See site for details. Let's go to the main event. My next guest is the brilliant political comic and anti-MAGA troll, Walt Masterson. Over the past few years, Masterson has brilliantly insinuated himself into the fabric of the MAGA nation and trolled everyone from January 6th rioters to neo-Nazi school board members, making them look like fucking imbeciles and exposing their hypocrisy to millions and viewers, especially on his TikTok, where his takedowns of the political right have helped him amass over 1.7 million dedicated followers. He joins us today on Mea Culpa to discuss his latest round of videos and how much gas the MAGA stupid train has in the tank. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Walter, look. As you know, right now, Trump appeared at the New York Attorney General's uh, trial over at 60 Center Street here in Manhattan. Now, last week, the New York judge, Judge Arthur Ngoron, ruled on an issue ahead of today's trial, whereby he turned around and he stated, 
that the fraud exists. Plain and simple, he basically gave the Trump Corporation the death penalty. Now, the second part of the trial, even though there are several still open issues, the second half and the more important half of the trial is going to be on damages, whereby our unsinkable New York Attorney General, Letitia James, is seeking a minimum of $250 million in penalties. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm very thankful to have you here, but I definitely thought that you would be outside of 60 Center Street trolling everybody or in front of Trump Tower, despite the fact that there's not a lot of um, support. There's not a lot of uh, pro-Trumpers. Oh, they, they show up for sure. And, and they are diehard. Every, I have been to every single Trump courthouse appearance across the country. I was up there at New York. I was in Miami, Atlanta, Washington, D.C. No matter what the charge is, it's all a big conspiracy. He's totally innocent. And no one can really tell me what the charges are, which is really comical. I think the, the, you're, the one you're involved in, the one that you got you know, your life wrapped up in, the New York one. Well, that's this one as well. Yeah. That's this as well. I'm the central witness to both the Manhattan District Attorney's case, the hush money case, which starts in March of 2024, as well as I am listed as the sixth witness in the New York Attorney General's case. Yeah. And so it is it's comical that like no one. All of them are there to defend Trump and none of them can really articulate as to you know what the actual charges are, but it's just a setup. It's a setup because you know he loves America too much, and they're and it's you know if they can if the whole line is you know if they can come after him, they can come after any one of us. By the way, Walter, I'm the one who said that first. I don't mean to interrupt you, but that's the whole essence <laughs> of my book, Revenge: How Donald Trump Weaponized the United States Department of Justice Against His Critics. I turned around and I said. What I'm trying to explain is I have and I continue to be the first political prisoner held by my own country because I wouldn't waive my First Amendment constitutional right. All is set up by Donald Trump by and through his willing and complicit attorney general, Bill Barr. And I fight every single day because I truly don't want to see what happened to me, the violation of my constitutional right ever happened to anyone, not Republican, not Democrat, not independent, no one. It's funny. It's funny that you're saying it's a weaponization of law enforcement because it's it's sort of that's what they're saying. They're saying that the DOJ and FBI has been weaponized. It's being weaponized by the Democrats when, in fact, this was something that Donald Trump has tried to do repeatedly is use the DOJ and FBI and weaponize it for his own purpose, for his own ends. It's it's hilarious. And so he did, right? I mean, you know, and the proof is the fact that I even filed a lawsuit, which is now on appeal. You know, it's Michael Cohen versus United States of America, Department of Justice, Trump, Bill Barr, etc. There's like 14 different defendants in that case. Only because of the overturning of um, the Dobbs, uh, the Dobbs decision, which overturned the Bivens case, is this case already not 
before a trial. Um, instead, it will ultimately go before the Supreme Court of the United States. And I predict right here and now, before all of my listeners, I predict that that case will be taught in law schools, which it already is, not all law schools, but many, but it will ultimately be taught in every single law school, no different than they teach, for example, Brown versus Board of Education. Because if they could violate your constitutional right on not being able to speak to media because the president of the United States deems you a critic, sounds like a real problem. And it sounds like a worthy case to be taught. Yeah, wait. So, yeah, no, I mean, they, he nailed you where, like, he had you fall on the sword. For the charge, he you know got you put a gag order, all of that. Yeah, you. I mean that is that's a that's a lot. So when you're out there and you're trolling these maga morons, these maggots, so to speak, I often find it. I mean, I watch all of your YouTube videos. I find them to be hysterical and on Instagram as well. But today. As Trump was entering the courthouse, he ended up deciding that he was going to make this into a victory lap. He's going to use this as a campaign finance opportunity because there's never a time that Donald's not going to try to make money off of something like this. Well, you know, you have to understand, Michael, he's a billionaire. And you know what billionaires do is he has so much money that he continuously has to fundraise for his own legal defense team because of course when you're a billionaire and you can pay for it out of your own pocket easily that you're you know you know that that's so that's so normal right to just have to fu- constantly fundraise with the public right that's totally something a billionaire would do and not something that a total fake billionaire would do at all right <laughs> yeah <laughs> well he turned around and he stood before the whole gaggle of reporters outside of the courtroom, you know, before he made his way in, because of everything, it's, it's part of the show. Yeah. And he starts by saying, the crime is against me. And then he goes on and he denounces the case in what has become all too familiar terms. Of course, calling uh, Attorney General Tish James a racist, uh, goes against... Uh, Judge Arthur Engoron, which I think, again, where the fuck are his, uh, his attorneys? I mean, I know he's got Alina Haba next to him, which to me, I don't understand considering she made one of the biggest mistakes any attorney can make. She failed to file a one-page document that would have made this trial that's going on starting today would have made it a jury trial, but she forgot to file it so it automatically becomes a bench trial, leaving everything in the hands of a judge that he turned around and he calls a maniac uh, and he calls a psychopath and all of these other stuff. But look, you know, he then goes on and says, you know, we have other properties, um, so he devalues everything. We have amongst the greatest properties in the world. And I have to go through this for political reasons. Again, you know, he refuses to turn around to take any responsibility. He never has. And chances are he never will for his own accountability. Yeah. Calling this once again, here comes the all too familiar term. It's a political witch hunt. It's just a witch hunt. Yeah. Meanwhile, projecting his behavior onto everyone else, onto the opposition. 
the opposition is you know doing this unfairly the opposition is doing stuff that's illegal the opposition is weaponizing the doj and everything he did i mean he's done this up and down i mean with the remember with with the confidential documents he didn't that was not publicized he publicized it and then said oh look at the fbi publicizing it you're like what are you talking about it was it was not no like you know when he was indicted you know he's the one that broke the news about it this was not something that was public at the time so yeah but then he goes on to call it political interference yeah. right have you asked any of these maga morons about how the biden administration is creating political interference how they're using the doj of course to stop the republican front runner because he's leading the polls all the polls every poll right by a lot well, that, that's that's their narrative. The narrative is he's such a threat. He's doing so well in the polls that this is the only way for the Democrats to to sink him. I mean, which I don't think is actually a fantastic strategy because the diehard MAGAs, if anything, they double down. They've they've all told me that they will vote for him from prison. Right. They're good. They will vote. You know, the Secret Service is going to have to take him out of prison and, you know, bring him in to be inaugurated. And that's that's their narrative. Right. So they are at any, you know, and, it, you know, let's be honest, the, the first charge is not that heavy of a charge. The the falsifying documents, you know, it's you know, it normally it's a misdemeanor, but it's a misdemeanor felony now it's upgraded, but it's not. It's not as heavy as the the other ones. The other ones are nasty. Um, but to them, he's going to go away for years and years and never see daylight again. I mean, you know, look, there's conspiracy to commit all sorts of different frauds that are associated with the business records yeah. and so on. It's a very it's a very interesting case. But, you know, something I would also like for you when you're trolling these idiots. This popped into my head. Literally last night, you're the first person I'm actually even discussing it with. So you know how everybody keeps saying, yeah, you know, Joe Biden, he's too old. And this is a Trump line. He's old. And, you know, he has some form of mental incapacity, a dementia uh, that, you know, he's cognitively impaired. But then at the same simultaneously, Trump is saying that Joe Biden weaponized the United States Department of Justice to go against Trump, to destroy him. Well, which one is it? Yeah. Because if, in fact, Joe Biden orchestrated the New York Attorney General case, which is going to wipe him out in terms of his company, that Joe Biden orchestrated the Department of Justice to go against him, which is then to go after the other four um, indictments, the other four trials. That, to me, is the greatest political hit job done by any president in the history, I think, of the world. So how yeah. cognitively impaired can he really be? Well, yeah, it's it's the same thing as, you know, liberals, uh, you know, are all, you know, beta cock, soy boys, but at the same time, we're really violent and we've taken over all the cities, all these liberal blue cities have just been taken over by, you know, left wing 
Black Lives Matter protesters, but at the same time, we're all beta cucks, soy boys that, you know, are only concerned with pronouns. And, you know, you know, we're all a bunch of sissies, right? It's, you know, it's the same, same conversation. But yeah, it, I mean, Joe, Joe Biden, it is funny because that's all they talk about is how old Joe Biden is. Personally, I, I don't mind. Like, you, if Joe Biden was dead, if you just wheeled him out, I would still vote for him over Trump. Right? Like, well, I mean, he because could, one, could, yeah, because one guy, one guy can't destroy the Constitution, and the other guy said on day number one he intends to rewrite the Constitution <laughs> to destroy the tripartite system that our government was founded upon. So, yeah, it would make sense to do that. But that's not really the point I'm trying to bring up. When you're speaking to these idiots, and I love how you do it, you shut them up because they don't have an answer. Again, here Trump is turning around and stating that Joe Biden is cognitively deficient. Now, he, of course, doesn't talk about himself. The fact that he's only two and a half years younger than Joe Biden slurring his words these days. But he says that Joe Biden is cognitively deficient. If that's true and he's cognitively deficient, how did he orchestrate the greatest political ass kicking ever? You have the New York Attorney General wiping out his company, basically his id, his ego, and his superego. And then you have four indictments, four criminal indictments, 91 criminal charges that could carry up to 717 and a half years of imprisonment. That, to me, again, is the greatest, that's the greatest ass kicking I've ever seen. You're giving me a great bit where I have to now interview them. And have them talk about what a old, you know, Arthur, you know, uh, how he's just not there. He's senile. So I have to interview them. They're going to tell me how senile he is. He's just checked out. At the same time, they're going to turn around and talk about what. Well, then you ask them the mastermind. question. Yeah, you I, ask I, them the question. I have to get them to talk about. Yeah, that's a great bet, and I am totally going to do that the next time I go to another MAGA rally or. Trump court appearance. Right. Uh-huh. Um, I can't do that in New York because they tend to record. They actually recognize me pretty fast in New York. Pretty funny. I have to like travel for it. I still get recognized, but it's not as fast uh, as sucks. New York. So yeah. So yeah. But I was, I, I have to go for this next court appearance in what Atlanta, DC, Miami. I mean, I could pick one at this point. But imagine you go to them and you're sitting there, you're like, man, Joe Biden is old. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's old. And yeah, he's he's cognitively deficient. I mean, you know, he really can't speak. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know what he's saying. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then you say to him, you know, but it is Joe Biden who's weaponized the United States Department of Justice against Trump, right? I mean, you know, Donald says that, that Joe Biden's yeah. administration is weaponizing the DOJ against him. Yeah, yeah, and we got to put a stop to it. Well, no, 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 you're, you're, that's a great bit. I have the best way to end it is for them to tell me that Trump is still the president and he's still the acting president. (laughs) Exactly. That is okay. Exactly. That is the way to end it. So you're giving me a good, like beginning, middle, and then end because I, it's, I have no problem getting them to tell me all three things with like passion, right? I've made videos where they've said to me that he's still the president 
and that the entire world knows that he's the president. All the world leaders know that he is the president. And at the same time, I go, well, you know, well, if he was still the president, the world leaders would respect us more. And they go, oh, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I used to do something like that with the vaccine where I would talk about how Trump doesn't get enough Uh credit for the vaccine and how he really the rollout and all the bureaucratic hurdles because he's a businessman and did all that. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And I go, are you getting vaccinated? Absolutely not. They would just be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, you're going to get vaccinated. No, absolutely. Like, are you crazy? Never. It's it's amazing. I You gave me a great bit. I promise I'm going to use that. We're going to start with Biden is senile. He's total old. He's checked out. And then he has orchestrated one of the, you know, biggest weaponizations of you know the you know law enforcement and at the same time trump is still the acting president yeah it's brilliant (laughs) well look since we're speaking about this the far right nearly succeeded in shutting down the government So people like Charlie Kirk, I mean, he seems to be calling the shots and giving orders to the minions, people like, you know, Matt Gaetz. And you recently um, wrote, law and order from the people that threaten civil war every time Trump gets a parking ticket. (laughs) Do me a favor. I, I, I mean, it's fucking funny. It's, you know, it's sad. You know, it's, I know it's weird, right? You know when something is sadly funny? The fact that these people with four teeth and three brain cells actually believe this shit. And by the way, speaking about believing this shit, as Donald was driving up to the courthouse at 60 Center Street, they were putting out um, requests for people to donate to him in order to fight this. I just think it's, again, it's, it's sad, it's funny, but it's all stupid. So discuss with me how you see this all connected and how it trickles down. I, I honestly, because I feel like every time there are conservatives that, you know what, they genuinely believe in law and order. They genuinely believe in freedom of speech and it's fine. I think most of the you know leadership, the Charlie Kirks, the Matt Gateses, they want law and order for, you know, the liberal blue cities. They want free speech for themselves. They don't want law and order as it applies to them. And like they, They've, I mean, Charlie Kirk, watching him melt down over any Trump indictment has been comical. Charlie Kirk said, oh, you got, you know, you want a war, you got it, Democrats. We're going to go after Hillary, as if most left wing people in the United States care what happens to Hillary. Most, you know, maybe some liberals, most, we were all like, and they like go after people that did crimes and put them in jail. Like, we, none of us care. Right, <laughs> like this isn't like you know if Trump broke the law, put him in jail. If a Democrat, like what's his name uh, in New Jersey, uh, with Menendez, Who, Chris Christie, oh, oh Menendez, Bob Menendez, yeah, and, sure. and Menendez, yeah, put him under the jail for all I care. Like go for it, <laughs> like, but yeah, Listen, Charlie Kirk mentions to prove yeah. against, yeah. yeah, they have their case to prove against Bob Menendez, and if they can. And so far, based upon the evidence, it doesn't look good for him. It looks uh, nasty. For his yeah. Wife. yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, he will see the inside 
of a prison. There's no doubt about it. Look, when I was in Otisville, I was there with Senator Dean Skelos. I was there with, um, you know, who was a state senator. I was there with Joe Pericoco, who was the chief of staff to Andrew Cuomo for over 25 years. Unbelievable. Every morning we used to have conversations about the cases. And I, I remember saying to Joe, I just don't understand your case. And I'm not saying it because I happen to like him. He's funny as hell. And I happen to think he's incredibly smart. I was saying it because I truly did not understand fundamentally what the fuck the case was. What I was his case? Wait, what his, what was his case? His case was that they claimed that he um, had taken uh, a, some bribes and stuff like that, but he wasn't even working for the administration at the time. It's just not true. Ultimately, I believe that's how it was described, but ultimately what ended up happening, it was reversed and his case was thrown out on appeal. So good for him. And it just goes to show you the shit that like the Southern District of New York, the guys like um, Tom McKay, Nick Roos, Andrea Griswold, right? All of these line prosecutors, they don't give a fuck about the truth. And then they, they whack it up to the judge, Judge William H. Pauley III, who knew exactly what they were doing. They only care about convictions, and that's a big problem. And why it's a big problem for two reasons. One, because it affects people's lives like mine. But two, because this is Donald Trump's strength. He knows how to speak to these MAGA morons and to use isolated instances like that within which to discredit things like the DOJ, law enforcement, the FBI, etc. And that happens to be one of Donald Trump's superpowers. And so here's the other part. I have asked every MAGA person at any of these court appearances, they've all come to support Trump. I did this at Miami. D.C., Atlanta, New York, the consents, you know, and now you'd think that they would be anti-law enforcement, right? Because they keep saying things like defund the FBI. I talk to them and I say, you know, hey, like, what should we do about this? And it's not like, oh, we need to create structural change. We need to actually, you know, get rid of these law enforcement agencies. You know, it's their ultimate thing is, well, we just need to get our people in there. It's it's never, there's never like a... There's never it, an answer. Yeah. If they, you know, like, I'm for law enforcement, you know, there being major, major reform. Maybe like destroy these, you know, institutions and build them back up from the ground. Ideally, I would love for that to happen. If they wanted to go down and have that conversation with me, I would say, you know what? Let's put aside our differences. Let's have a conversation about it. I like this. I'll march with you for that. But it's never that. It's just, we just got to get our, you know, MAGA, America first people into the FBI, into the DOJ, and no structural change. Never. Maybe there's maybe like one or two people that have said, oh, well, yeah, I'm, you know, and they, they don't seem closed off to it. But Every one of them does not want to see anything else happen except. You know what I love the most, Walt? Yeah. You know what I love the most? I love when you start talking to these MAGA maniacs and then you call them out and say, but Donald Trump is calling the shots. And Donald Trump right now is issuing all of these edicts, right? 
And they're like, yeah. Yeah. And you're like, tell me more. Tell me, right? tell me like, everything. How is this happening? Exactly. Yeah, he's, he's still you a president. Know? He's still a president. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how do you get them? How do you get them to... How do you, I, I don't even know really how to pose the question to you. How do you get them to be so stupid? I mean, I, I, it's, and the, but here's the problem. Here's the thing. Some of these people, I, you know, it's, it's nice to just call them, you know, dismiss them and say that they're, you know, functionally, you know, that they're below average intelligence. These are people that if you talk to them about most things, they're, they're fine. They have the, you know, cognitive power. And that cognitive power kicks in sometimes, and you're and I'm like, wait, I can have a normal conversation. You're not, you know, challenged. You're not mentally challenged. Like, oh my god, and that's the weird part. But then you bring up things like Trump and all these issues, and it sort of it goes against you know that you know something that cognitively there'd be some dissonance. There's you know there's contradictions. I, I don't get it, and that's what blows my mind because I. I have these conversations. It's easy to get any of that stuff out of them. Trump is still the president. Trump's still running things. Trump is the best. Trump's doing it all, right? I mean, anything that is pro-Trump, they will be like rah rah. They're very, you know. And then you know, you know, and then you talk to them about something else. Sometimes they, you know, the cognition kicks back in, and because there's a lot of bits I try with them that just don't work, right? I talked. I was like, hey. I did this one bit. It failed miserably. I said, hey, you know, what do you think of Ted Cruz's plan to expand the Supreme Court? And this is while Trump was still in office, right? I wanted to see if they would just be open to expanding it if the Republicans. Were. And they were like, Ted Cruz, mm -hmm. every one of them to, to a person told me flat out, Ted Cruz would never say that ever. And I was like, okay. Wow. And and I was like, wow. it failed bit. It failed. And I was like, and to the point that they looked at me weird, like, why would you ever think that Ted Cruz would even say a th something like that? How could you be so stupid as to fall for some stupid rumor? And <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, there you go. Suddenly, like, the, every, the cognition kicked in. And I was like, well, I, I wish you were like this normally, you know. So when I, when I, you know, and that's what lets me know, okay, like there's still a human inside of you going on. There's still something in there. Yeah. So look, Matt Gates has now vowed to remove Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker for what? Well, for daring to work with Democrats and to keep the government from shutting down. Right. I mean, from ruining our credit rating, for shutting the government down, not paying, you know, uh, not paying government employees. Way to go, Matt. Right. Do you think they'll succeed in removing him from power? And if so, who do you think takes place? Who takes his place? I mean, if Matt Gates is trying to get him eliminated, you know, I would I'd imagine that Matt dude I can't imagine who's gonna take his place. I I because every time the Republicans get rid of someone, they replace them with someone more awful. And I actually I actually commend the Republicans, for when they don't like someone in their own party, they're like they're talking about primarying them. When I was at Capitol Hill on January sixth, they constantly, all of them, were talking about how they're going to primary challenge 
all of the rhinos, the people that did not, you know, support Trump's, you know, election denial claim. Uh, and they were adamant about that. And, you know, Democrats talk about, you know, they're like, oh, well, I hope we can flip this district from red to blue or flip a district. They don't talk about going after the fake Democrats in their party. I will, I honestly, I commend them for that. Now, I don't agree with anything. I think it's awful. I think, I mean, if you look at the history, they replaced these sort of, you know, Republicans. I thought the scariest people were during the time of W that, you know, you know, uh, supported the war in Iraq and were all for this crazy stuff. And then they replaced them with Tea Party members, which those people sounded insane. And now they're replacing them with like Freedom Caucus, America First people, which honestly make the Tea Party people sound normal and rational. Like they do this so often and it's terrifying. Every time they kick someone out, I'm like, oh, yeah, I hate Kevin McCarthy. But I'm like, whoever's coming to replace him is just going to be like satanic. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, Kevin McCarthy's in a no-win situation because – any one person who was part of the deal that he made to get the speakership, any one person could move to have him removed. Yeah. And it's look, I I have to say this. I give Kevin McCarthy a lot of credit for doing what he did. He went against that MAGA right base and he did the right thing for America. I mean, I can't believe that I'm actually going to give a prop to Kevin McCarthy. He did the right thing for America. Could you imagine all of the members of the armed services don't get paid? All the federal workers don't get paid. Only essential workers have to go. No, 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 I mean, no, it, my, last time, Michael, the, the, like the, they don't billion. get paid, but the, the Senate and Congress, they all get paid. Oh, they get paid. You know, they, they get a check. Right. Remember, do you see that interview with the congressman? Who's still going to get paid? I did. And he was like, you know, hey, these other people, sh you know, shouldn't expect a lot of sympathy from us. Meanwhile, he's like, yeah, I'm still getting the check. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's fucking gross. They they really are. But you know, Walter, one of the conspicuous victims of this latest shutdown attempt yeah. is the complete absence of funding for Ukraine. If you can, because, again, you speak to so many yeah. of these MAGA maniacs. What is this far-right obsession with punishing Zelensky in Ukraine? I mean, is it, do you think that it's for Zelensky's refusal to play ball with Rudy Kaludi Giuliani in digging up dirt on the Bidens? I mean, you know, which ultimately led to Trump's second impeachment. What is their fascination, their obsession? with fucking over Ukraine. You know, I had this, okay, I had this amazing conversation. I can send you the video. I spoke, I was outside Trump Tower interviewing people and I spoke to this Ukrainian woman and she is, she loves Trump, loves him. Like totally pro-Trump. And I was like, oh, well, you must uh, be totally for Putin taking over Ukraine. She's like, no, that's my country. It should be independent. And I keep going back as to like, well, no, but we, I'm with Fox. I kept telling her I was with Fox News and that I was like, oh, I'm with Fox News and we're, we don't want it to be independent. We want Putin to be in control. <laughs> and she's like, why? And I kept talking about the corruption and the Azov battalion. She's like, so we don't deserve to be independent? So what do you mean? Um, 
and it would I couldn't understand it. And it is the weirdest thing. I think everyone there just loves Putin. They really just love Putin. I don't I don't think they're against war per se. Because I, I don't think that's kind of a Republican platform is to be against a war. They say they are. I don't think they are. I don't, I don't believe that. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand the Russian, Ukrainian Americans. Um, I don't understand the Cubans that are all pro-Trump, like the ones in Miami. Um, you know, the, the, well, we don't want another socialist country. We left our socialists. In fact, you know, you go, well, we left a communist country. What do you think that Donald Trump is going to make of the United States of America if, in fact, that he returns to power? And I brought this up the other day, yeah. and I, I brought it up when I was um, on set at um, MSNBC. And I'm not joking here. I do truly mean it. And it's not me trying to be hyperbolic. It's not me putting words in the Mandarin Mussolini's mouth. These are his own words. He, he stated the second that he becomes president, he is going to he's going to rewrite the Constitution. He's going to strip the judiciary branch, and the legislative branch of their co-equal power, all right, under, under the Constitution. Basically, what he said is that he intends to confer all power to the executive branch. By doing so, who are you really conferring power to? Yeah. The president of the United States of America, right? The, the, the chief executive. Which now gives him, as he had said so many times in the past, the president is like the king. So what happens, Walt, when the list, the Donald Trump enemies list, is ultimately published in what would be a newspaper similar to Pravda, which means truth. It's the Russian propaganda state-run newspaper that says that you're on the list. I know for a fact I'm it's on. It's published in Epoch Times, Newsmax, OAN. RBSN or right side me, you know, yeah. So what happens then when all of a sudden, like things used to happen under Stalin, they show up to your house, they show up to your work, they show up when you're having dinner with your family, they bag you, tag you, and nobody sees you again. That's exactly how it happened under the Stalinistic regime. This is what Donald wants. And the, the craziest thing is... The ultra-wealthy, these mega, mega-billionaires that are supporting Donald because he had made them so much money during his four years of, of his administration, these idiots are still secretly playing in Donald's camp because, again, for them, it's all about the money. What they don't understand is Donald does not have an original thought in his head. He's going to do to them what Mohammed bin Salman did to his relatives and other Saudis. He's going to bring them. I know it seems funny, but I, I'm no, it's, telling yeah, that's you, right. that's I know right. him. I know him better than anyone. He's going to put them in Mar-a-Lago or one of his other ballrooms. He's going to have them sign over their wealth to him the same way that Putin did, um, the same way that Mohammed bin Salman did. And if they don't, they're just going to go 
disappear. Maybe they'll end up at Guantanamo. Maybe they'll end up at some supermax facility 200,000 feet under the ground. These same people think that they're masters of the universe. It makes no difference how much money you have. When somebody has the ultimate power to do whatever they want, which is what he wants to give himself through executive privilege, you're not safe. And you know what's not safe? Democracy's not safe because it ceases to exist at that point. Yeah, no, but this, what everything you just said is what the Trump base is riling people up about now. They're saying because Trump is getting indicted, MAGA people are going to just go away and be taken off in the middle of the night. And they'll use they'll use examples of all the J6 people being ta- rightfully arrested. They'll use examples of that guy who was making threatening, you know, statements to the president who, when they, you know, raided his house, it ended in a shootout and he was dead. And they use all of those situations as proof that, you know, the socialist takeover, the Biden socialist takeover is in full effect and that you as a MAGA person are not free to express your beliefs. That is everything you just said, like is being projected onto the Democrats right now. So it's, it's a, this is like, I see this all the time with conservatives. It's, you know, they'll take their worst behavior and project it onto the opposition. Right. I mean, Trump is the OG of weaponizing the DOJ. He literally tried to put, was it Jeffrey Clark? So he tried to put, you know, tried to put Jeffrey Clark in charge of all of the, you know, the entire country's law enforcement and only withdrew that because his own people said, like, this is ridiculous. And they, you know, threatened to just resign, you know, outright. So, I mean, this he, so every everything that is being this is like everything that he has threatened to do everything that he will do is being projected onto you know the you know maga you know base right now i mean that is yeah you can see i, I see i hear that all the time yeah i mean he's he's creating this dystopian world this handmaid's tale world where you know they're going to they already are now semi in control over women's reproductive rights well they have that agenda 2025 agenda that the heritage foundation you know wrote for them that they released that they've said like when they regain they're going to you know undo any climate change bill any environmental action uh they're going to make it you know completely complete ban on abortion everything you know mill for prestone just Everything you just say, you know, anything, any smallest amount of progress will be completely rolled back. And, and this, then, I mean, this isn't small progress. Roe versus Wade was not small progress 50 years ago. Neither is Obergefell. Yeah. It was same-sex marriage. Neither is, you know, um, I mean, I mean, there's so many cases that are affected, including Bivens. There are so many cases that are affected by this Dobbs decision. They're going to roll everything back. They're going to limit everyone's constitutional rights. And, you know, so many people say to me on this show, you know, we love this program. We love Maya Culpa. We love the truth. We love the way you explain it. But 
why is there so much doom and gloom in the questions that you ask your guests or the way that you express yourself? And so, and the answer is because that's what Donald Trump is creating. It's doom and gloom. And these fucking idiots that you're constantly questioning, they think that they're part of the elite class. They think that they're going to be like his SS soldiers, right? America first. America first is like a takeoff of the SS, right? Germany first. It's like white power. That's the same shit. They have such an inherent fear of anyone of color. This white privilege need by them is so strong. This need in order to determine, you know, who gives birth, who doesn't give birth, the right to life. The, it is so it is so abusive. It goes against everything that we have become as a country, a more thoughtful country, more thoughtful to one another. They just don't care. They no. just don't care. They want it the way they want it because they're afraid. And, of and, they've, done a, and they've done a great job of getting people of color involved in helping them in the culture wars i mean they have you know they've got you know vivek byron and you know scott and all these people that are you know will basically come up and say oh racism doesn't exist you know we don't need you know you know anything they've they'll get people that are meant people they'll get people that are lgbtq that will you know uh argue against their own liberation it's it's kind of amazing to me i'm like they get this these eh, few. Eh, come on Walker. i mean they get a people, few they get a few. Uh, few people on the on the side believe you know tim scott few people believe you know that trump is not anti-lgbtq yeah. um i mean it, you know few people take a look at vivek ramaswamy is anything other than a snake oil salesman i mean you know, he's like the Indian version of Beavis. I mean, it's fucked up. He's, I mean, to me, I think he's the funniest guy on the stage. I actually enjoy when he would speak at the um, at the debates because everything he says I find to be so stupid. And it's confidently, so confidently stupid. I mean, he should bottle and sell the confidence to which he continuously gets history wrong. And then when he's called out on like how wrong his history is, how he's like factually incorrect, he'll just double down. It's actually like it's admirable. Who else does that? What? Who else does? Oh, Trump. That? Yeah. Who else does? Yeah. Exactly. He he wants to be a Trump two So look, we were talking about before last week. Uh, Trump had his corporate charter revoked by Judge Engoron. I love it. Which I love it. Yeah. Which amounts to his. Business being decimated, likely liquidated in what many call a corporate death penalty. The one thing people seem to give him credit for is being this like great deal maker and this business genius. Because again, when I watch your videos and I watch you speaking to them, they all believe that he is this incredible the deal art maker. Of the deal. That, oh, that the art of the deal is right, and he's a he's a genius. Every deal that he's ever done turns out is a, is a massive success. But now with all of this gone, right, his image is likely or should likely be destroyed because all of the truth is coming out now. Do you think any of this will make a difference in the way that the average MAGA fanatic views Trump? Or do you think that they'll just view it as part of 
Again, part of the vast left-wing conspiracy to take down the leading Republican candidate who, in the polls, is destroying Joe Biden. Oh, yeah. That, they, would, they will. It has been long proven that Trump is not and was not a billionaire. Like that's that's you've you've worked for him. You can you can confirm that. But was he ever a billionaire? Yes, he's a billionaire. Do you think let me right now he's a billionaire? This. Yes, yes. I would say even with all even I with all his debts, even with all his outstanding yes. debts. What do you, okay? No, what do you yes. think he's worth? So let, let, okay, I say he's worth somewhere in the ballpark of a billion four to a billion six, and that's subtracting upon his assets, and that's subtracting now. his tremendous debts that he's just you know not he's delinquent on. Well, he doesn't have the significant debts the way I remember it, as people are describing. He actually doesn't. Now, do I think that after all said and done, is he at around a billion dollars minus the debt? I think the answer is, yeah, I do. I think he has that. Remember, there's some pretty valuable assets that he owns. But let me just go in and talk to you for a quick second about what this Tish James case will ultimately do to that billion dollars of We'll call it of equity. I'll, that I'll, he I'll has take your word assets. for it because you, I mean, you worked for him for over a decade. So if you say that he's worth a billion four in your estimation, okay, I'll I'll take your word for it. I mean, I like I'll okay. And you're saying because he has there's certain assets that he has that you can't devalue them as easily as others. So let's say hypothetically, forty Wall Street. Yeah, forty Wall Street is a building that he acquired for one million dollars. Crazy. 1.2 million square feet. He acquired it for $1 million, building right across the street from the stock exchange. I'm going to be high in terms of the valuation because the building is old. It needs tremendous upgrades in the electronics, the, um, the elevators, uh, the ugly brown marble needs to go. Yeah. You know, the footprint needs to be changed. However, it's still 1.2 million square feet downtown. Okay, let's say hypothetically it's worth $400 million. I think it could be a little high, but let's just say 400. And let's just say he has a $100 million right now um, debt on that property. All right. Not, not so bad, right? 25% loan to value is what he has on it. When that building gets forced into liquidation and sold, even assuming that somebody comes in and buys for $400 million, he doesn't get $400 million. He has to pay tax on the, the, um, the delta between the basis, how much he bought it for, and what it was sold for. So he, in essence, has a $400 million capital gain. And he doesn't have the ability to 1031 because it's going for liquidation to pay whatever the amount is that's owed to Tish James, the state of New York, pursuant to this case. So if he sells it for 400, he's in New York. City, state, federal tax applies. It's 50%. That's $200 million that would ultimately come to him or to the state to pay off, minus the 100 in the mortgage. Assuming it's only a hundred, 
So he has 100 million in order to offset whatever the amount is that will be determined by Judge Ngoron. So you understand the point I'm trying to make here? That's a valuable asset because of the size and the location. Now let's talk about, for example, the golf courses. Golf courses don't have that type wait, of so, value. Wait, wait, no, you, you can, you're good at this. So every, the biggest uh, debate right now is how the you know, attorney general said that um, you know, their valuation of Mar-a-Lago is $18 million. Do you agree with that? Mm, that's not exactly what they said, Walt. And a lot of what people are making this mistake. What they said is that the assessed value on the property is like 23 or $26 million. And he was going for 18 or to 20 and so on. The assessed value, and if you own your home or you own an apartment, um, fee simple absolute, this doesn't work for co-ops, it works for condos or for a home, which is also, of course, a fee simple absolute, you own the block and lot number. Every year in your tax bill, it says assessed value. That assessed value is a number that, to be honest with you, I don't know where it comes from. It just comes from a computer. And then there is an algorithm that's used in order to determine what your tax base on that block and lot number is. He's claiming that the assessed value is less than the $26 million, which he then, of course, would get the benefit of a lower real estate tax base. You understand? If, in fact, the property was worth, as Eric Trump said, who's the dumbest of the three, that it's worth more than a billion dollars, Trump has said the same thing. Wait, until you said, wait, you, you've, so in running the Trump, in being the head, in running the Trump organization for over a decade, you think Eric Trump is the dumbest? I thought it was Donald Trump Jr. No, actually, Don Trump Jr. is probably innately the brightest of the three kids. More than Ivanka. I thought like Ivanka was, it, was yeah. the smartest. Ivanka is the most, no, she's the most prepared. Uh, she won't do an interview unless she has all the questions in advance and then practices the whole bit. Uh, Don Jr. is actually innately the brightest, but he's fucked up. Uh, Ivanka is the least fucked up and the, and the most like her father. She's, a, um, she's good on camera. And especially when she's well prepared. But my point is, it's the assessed value that is the issue. Um, it's so if you were to put that the on the market, different- if you were to sell, put that on the open market, it would sell for, because they're saying, oh, this will sell for a billion dollars or hundreds, hundreds. Of- so the answer is, this is, it's not true. It's not true. You see, what Donald does is he conflates multiple things and he conflates them in order to ensure that whatever it is that he thinks becomes a reality. And he thinks if it's worth a billion dollars, well, just look at the land value in Palm Beach per acre and look at the size of his property. So start doing it, not to mention the the building itself built by Marjorie Merriweather Post, one of the most magnificent buildings uh, or homes that were ever built, uh, especially during that time. It is not. A residence. It is a commercially zoned property. He cannot look at residential real estate prices in order to make that valuation. In fact, he has no knowledge of anything. And if you want a true appraisal, you should actually go to a licensed appraisal uh, appraiser and have them give you a valid appraisal. But he doesn't want that. He wants to tell them what the value is and he conflates 
a ton of things, uh, you know, whether it's, again, whether it's zoned R for residential or, you know, commercial. Um, he'll tell you that he could chop the property up into 20 different parcels. And each parcel will sell for, you know, $25 million, that he has a $500 million land valuation. First of all, how are you getting the property zoned? There's no zoning right by you. On top of that, Donald doesn't even own the property himself. Every one of the members, there's like 300 members, every single one of them posted a bond. So the first thing that has to happen is if, in fact, the property gets sold, all the bondholders have to get their money back. That's the way the bond works. So he's conflating everything. Yeah, it's a lot of land. Yeah, um, you know, his golf courses in whether it's Washington, whether it's uh, whether it's um, in the Carolinas, whether it's in New Jersey, New York, wherever it is. Yeah, there's a lot of land golf courses. You know, and generally range between 250 to 380 acres for a good golf course. They are not zoned for development. It is a single-use zone. So if you're going to sell, for example, Trump National in Briarcliff Manor or Trump Bedminster, which used to be the DeLorean estate, you would have to try to convert it back to a residential property to sell it. If you're going to sell it as the um, golf course that it is, you have to look to see what's the profitability. And these golf courses have no profitability. So what's the value? Oh, yeah, I'm going to pay $100 million for a golf course that loses money every year. Sounds like a good investment to me, right? That's not how it works. But I want to ask you this, because this is something that's been on my mind for a while. You spend a lot of time fighting back against Moms for Liberty. Oh, yeah. First of all, tell my listeners, who are they? And from where does their power derive? Okay, so Moms for Liberty, they're fun to make fun of. You know, people like to call them Clanned Karenhood, Moms Against Literacy, all of that. And they are, uh, you know, mothers that are very organized. They've, you know, their candidates that they've backed, their Republican candidates they've backed, have, you know, gotten nominations and gotten elected. And they're very organized. They are hard at work right now at taking over local school boards. So it is very fun to make fun of them. You could, it's great. However, they and they show up and they don't have the numbers. They show up in districts where they do not have the numbers. And because you know people are asleep at the wheel half the time, because people don't see the threat, they will take over a school board and get their people in the school board. They it's people think it's about critical race theory. They think it's about critical race theory. They think it's about gender ideology. They think it's about trans women in sports. It is about shutting down public education in favor of school choice. And school choice is making it so that instead of education being public, the tax money goes towards a corporation that is preferably faith-based. Faith-based. So they want, they, they're furious that public education is secularized, that there is a separation between church and state. That is their biggest gripe. You know, it, 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 but what happens, but what happens if you're not of their faith? You're not of their denomination, whether you're Jewish, Hindu, Muslim, 
right? You know, what if you're uh, agnostic? What if you're atheist? What if you're Scientologist? I mean, you know, pursuant to the Constitution, we all have the right to worship the God that we choose to worship, not to be told, uh, and not also to be, you know, put into a school environment, uh, whether you're young all the way to uh, college institutions. Nobody has the right to tell you, you know, to which God that you pray. Well, not according to them. That is, they are, the school, like, I don't think people have heard the term school choice enough. Maybe if you live in a purplish or red state and you're listening to this, you definitely know what school choice is. But school choice is what's being instituted right now in Texas and a lot of red states. They're trying to defund public education. They're furious that public education is not controlled by religion. That is that Amazing. is the basis. It's so, not, it's not, and they're they're very effective. Um, and and here's what they also do: they don't sometimes don't announce themselves as Moms for Liberty at these school board meetings. And when they're campaigning, it's always some you know local thing. Right now, there's a huge huge election uh, coming up for Central Bucks County in Pennsylvania. I've been to two of their school board meetings. There is like Moms for Liberty people there, and there's this guy Paul Martino. He is, you know, this millionaire, MAGA millionaire who is funneling money. The last election, he put $700,000 towards school board candidates, a school board. Unbelievable. And he's probably put more. And it's, you know, it's something, it's never Moms for Liberty because that would be too, it's something like, you know, Central Bucks for Freedom, you know, something. And it sounds more innocuous and it's their people. And yeah, well, they're yeah, they were well, incredibly we to counter them that I yeah. because they I've seen them in action. You know what? I I will say they're very organized They're I went to their thing in Philadelphia and it wasn't a bunch of MAGA flag waving people. They were quiet and getting down to business. They were there to focus and talk about how to you know take these tools and bring them back to their community. And it's, you know, they believe every single, you know, conspiracy, you know, World Economic Forum is trying to indoctrinate our kids to make everyone trans nonsense, you know. Yeah, you know, so to put an end to this sort of nonsense, I've actually agreed on October 11th, I'm speaking uh, along with others at this thing called Cooper Union NYC. You know, there's a, um, a Trump summit that's going on. And I'll be a speaker, Congressman Jamie Raskin, Robert De Niro, Mary Trump. I mean, it's a real it's a real headline. It's called Cooper Union NYC. If you're in the area, you should definitely stop by as my guest. But I can tell you something. Uh, you know, we, we have to battle back against this. Wait, what day? What's the date? Uh, the 11th of October. I, I definitely want to be I definitely want to be your guest. I want to be able to interview uh, people and platform them. If you can get me in, well, Good. we got to talk about that. Done. And uh, done. We that's a that's a done deal, Walter. You deserve it. So look, the hour goes by very, very quick. I have one last question for you. You released this what I thought was hysterical video uh, recently at this anti-immigrant MAGA uh, rally, uh, where you told the crowd that your father was a scientist who <laughs> who immigrated legally from Argentina, happens to be my grandmother's birthplace, after World War II. Um, and that you wanted a country where people wouldn't tell you that slavery was bad, right? <laughs> the whole thing was pretty bonkers. I mean, but 
surprisingly, it drew massive applause. So I'm curious, when you troll these groups, considering I just asked you to join me at Cooper Union NYC on the 11th, do they ever figure out who you are? And if so, do you have folks that follow you or threaten you on a regular basis? Because I do. So yeah, I get, they figure it out. Um, I had one, there was one time in Long Island, the funniest thing is I've been all over the country. The two places that terrify me the most are Staten Island and Long Island, which is comical. Like I was on the steps of Capitol Hill during like January 6th. And, like I felt less safe at school board meetings in Long Island. <laughs> I remember they tossed me from a school board and I told security, I said, you know, since you're, if you're going to toss me, can you just walk me to my car? Like, can, so I can just, you know, get in my car and just get out of here. Cause there were some, I mean, there's one time I got chased out of some place in Long Island and I like dove, you know, jumped into my car, went the wrong way in the parking lot. You know, I've had that happen more than once in, in those places. Cause they eventually during halfway through the speech, some kid will be like, Oh, I follow the, I follow him on TikTok. He's not with us or, you know, he's not with you guys <laughs> or like in it's, it's always funny when I get them to applaud. It's because it's one thing to just make fun of them. It's another thing when I give them their talking points and then they they applaud and say, oh, like that's, yeah, we agree with that. This And meanwhile, I've said something. Mania. It's because I've said, because that's not just, that's not just context. That's not, you know, me editing. Like, no, that's, I said something insane. You applauded it and you and your, and you applauded it in real time because you thought, well, He's obviously with us. I, I love those the most. So, Walter, listen, let me thank you for joining. And let me just, let me just plug my, uh, my, uh, my podcast. Um, it's coming out in the next few weeks. Uh, it's called We Are Not Journalists. My friend, Max, my friend Maximilian Clark and I, we travel the United States, and we ask the questions that journalists are too smart to ask. Right? So, I'm a comedian. I'm not a journalist. However, I know how to talk to most people in the United States better than most press does. That's how I came up with the idea because I thought like I I would be at these events and watch media come and try to interview these people, and I was like, that's not how you talk to a MAGA person, idiot. They're not going to react. They're not going to give you a straight answer for that, you know. So I was frustrated, and so I created this show called We Are Not Journalists. It's not to be taken seriously as journalism. However, it should be insightful and it's dropping soon. So just look for it. We are not journalists. You got it, my friend. Stay safe and I will be seeing you very soon, like sometime next week. Oh my, oh my God, thank you. And now for today's mayor culpa. I was struck by Tuesday's Oval Office address by President Biden for the amount of poise and leadership that he showed in condemning Hamas's brutality. In stating that the attack was the deadliest day for Jews since the Holocaust, he put into sharp focus just what's at stake. Speaking to reporters on Wednesday morning, Biden sought to connect the Hamas attacks directly to decades of anti-Semitism and violence endured by Jews around the world. And this is what he said. This attack has brought to the surface the painful memories and scars left by a millennium of anti-Semitism and genocide against the Jewish people. 
We have to be crystal clear. There is no justification for terrorism, no excuse, and the type of terrorism that was exhibited here is just beyond the pale. Beyond the pale. I can't imagine Trump being able to summon the empathy or historic memory to give such a speech. First off, the man is no friend of the Jews. Secondly, he has no historic memory. I mean, here's a man who used to sleep with a copy of Mein Kampf next to his bed. So the ability to summon the better angels of our nation during times of darkness is the role of a great leader. And say what you want about Joe Biden. On Monday, Joe Biden showed that he cared beyond measure. That's the mark of a leader and one that deserves to occupy the Oval Office, no matter his age. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. (laughs) 